Let's uh, let's jump into James. Uh, we're going through the book of James and talking about. Uh, basically, we're reading through the book of James, and so as we go through the book of James, we're kind of categorizing it and taking scriptures from throughout the book of James that deal with particular topics and looking at those. And uh, so we'll work our way through the book of James. But uh, what we've uh, covered last week was at the beginning, uh, James 1 verse 2, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. And that's quite the way to start. You know, Whenever you go through something difficult, be full of joy. It's not the normal response to the trials of life. Normally, the trials of life uh, provide discouragement or, uh, you know, frustration or even a bitterness and anger towards the dark, cruel world. Or it can create a victim mentality or just an abdication of responsibility. You know, ah, there's nothing I can do about this anyway. And you just let it all fall apart. But what James is saying is if we interpret the difficulty of life the right way, then it can be part of our maturing process and we can come out stronger on the other side. So we dealt with that last week. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because that produces perseverance and perseverance finishes its work to make us mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so if we see the difficulties as, of life as part of the maturing process that makes us stronger on the other side, then we can be full of joy in the midst of those. So that can be a challenge, but let me encourage you, when you're going through something difficult, look and see what lessons can I learn? How, what wisdom can I gain? How can I understand how to live life better? How can I learn heart skills like perseverance, uh, things like that? Sometimes all we can do when we live through a difficult trial is just make it through to the other side. And then when somebody else is going through the same trial, we can be there for them. There may not be a profound lesson to learn except the ability to get through something really, really hard and then to encourage others who are in the middle of that same thing going through it later. So those lessons we can learn, we can consider it joy as we know it's growing us up, maturing us, helping us to become complete. This week, we're going to look at the power of God revealed in the book of James. Now, James is a straight shooter even to the point of a harsh shooter. You know, it might not be straight. It might be skewed harsh. You know what I mean? Like he'll say harsh things and he'll say them just boom. Like, here you go. Uh, I like that because you don't have to interpret. You don't have to try to figure out, you know, I wonder what James is really getting at. It's just like, boom. You know, like there's those people that in your life, you know, like, hey man, tell me what you really think. But they just throw it out there. And James is like that. He's just going to set it out there. He doesn't care if it offends people. If it's difficult to hear, he just sets it out there. And that can make people kind of think that it's, it's really about straightening up our lives and, and doing right and following rules and that sort of thing. But there's many, many parts to the book of James, and one of those parts is the miracles of James. And so we're going to look at the power of God in the book of James and what we need to do as described in the book in order to apprehend and grab hold of the power of God. So let's pray and let's look at 
the miracles of the book of James. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this moment right now. And, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you would touch each one of us with exactly what we need. We're all going through different things. We're facing different trials. We're walking through different parts of of this journey of life. And, Lord, I know that you want to meet each one of us right here, right where we're at, and pick us up and help us to take a step forward. So, Lord, I pray you would do that by your spirit. You would meet us here and you would lift us up. So bless our time in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So I see without extrapolating too much, five miracles, five types of miracles, five ways we can apprehend, grab a hold of the power of God in the book of James. I see miraculous impartation of wisdom. How many people need wisdom? I see divine provision, provision to meet our needs. I see miraculous impartations of grace, the kindness and favor of God. I see the power to defeat the devil and divine healing all in the book of James. So before we get into those, let's look at James chapter 1. Verses 16 through 18, and see what we've got. James 1, verse 16. Don't be deceived. How many people want to be deceived? Deceived is bad. How many people maybe view the world inaccurately? That would be deceived. (laughs) So we want to get an accurate understanding of the world we live in, how things go. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. So James is saying there are good things in this life and they come from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Don't think good and perfect gifts are other places. Don't think the things of God are bad things. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So here, James is saying that we can connect with God and receive good things from God. That don't be deceived. Don't look at the things of the world as the good things. Don't look at the things of sin, the sinful nature, those things as the good things we can receive. But every good and perfect gift comes from God. So where should we look for good things? We should look to the Lord. We should look to the Lord for good things. If every good and perfect gift comes from above, we should look to the Lord for those good and perfect gifts. Now, what do we do in order to grab hold of those good and perfect gifts? You know, I I see a continuum with two ditches with regards to apprehending the things of God. There are lots of Christians who think, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. So I'm just going to sit here and wait for it. And if he wants to do it, he's going to do it. If he doesn't want to do it, he's not going to do it. So done. I'm done. I don't have to do anything. And then on the other ditch, there's the God helps those who help themselves with the in parentheses, because God doesn't do anything, (laughs) right? God helps those who help themselves. Because if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. However, the truth is that God has laid things before us that we have to go get. 
And so we've got a part to play in it. But of course, without the power of God, there's nothing to go get. And so God in his grace and mercy has laid things before us. But we have to do what it takes to go get those things. And so as we look at these miracles in the book of James, James also shows things we need to do to help us grab hold of and apprehend those promises of God. So let's look at those promises and engage the Lord to try to receive those good promises from God. First one, miraculous impartation of wisdom. James chapter one, verses five through eight. James one, five, one of my very, very favorite verses in the Bible If you come to church here for a year, I'll probably read it 10 times. I like this verse because it's so important. If we could get wisdom from God, what would that do for us? How many people need wisdom from God right now? You know, oh man. And guess what? If you solve that problem a month from now, you're going to need wisdom for something else. So this is the human condition. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. One of the things I love about this is he'll give generously to all without finding fault. Have you ever felt stupid asking a question? They tell you there are no stupid questions. But I tell you, I feel stupid when I am asking certain questions, right? Like you should know the answer. Sometimes I will ask my wife a question that I just asked her two minutes ago. She has answered the question, and I have forgotten the answer. And then I ask her again. Well, that's a stupid question, because I just got the answer, but I forgot. So it's embarrassing to ask the question. And I I guess that's just pride, and we got to get rid of that pride. But still, you don't want to look stupid. You don't want to feel foolish. And what this is saying is that if, if any of you lacks wisdom, if... (laughs) (laughs) we can go to the Lord and he will give generously. He's not wanting to hold back wisdom. He's not wanting us to not have wisdom so that we can be fools and he can rescue us from our stupidity. He's wanting to give us wisdom. He wants to give generously and he's not going to make fun of us for how stupid we are when we ask him. What a glorious, wonderful thing that is to be able to go into the presence of almighty God who knows everything. And we come in just clueless and ask stupid questions. And God is kind and loving and gentle and helps us learn. When I was a brand new believer, maybe just a couple years in, I asked God, who's right? I need to find out what denomination, what group is right so that I can hook up with them. I don't care who it is. This is a hassle trying to figure this out. You just tell me who's right so I can connect with that group and I'll go with them. And you know what God said to me? Nobody's right. Every human denomination, every human group has something wrong with it because it's made up of people. God alone is right. God alone is perfect and trustworthy and true. People will let you down. Human organizations will let you down. Churches will let you down. Now, some are better than others and whatever and all that stuff. But the reality is, is that there is no perfect organization. That was very helpful for me because then I stopped looking for the perfect organization. 
So when I found fault with something, it wasn't a deal breaker. I could walk into an imperfect situation and say, oh, that's okay. I'll try to bring something good into this. I'll try to bring something uh, positive into a difficult situation. I can do that. Not a problem. Now, I eventually found the assemblies of God, and I'm extremely happy with the assemblies of God. But the assemblies of God is not perfect. Good Hope Church is not perfect. I'm not perfect. God is perfect. And what a lot of hassle that saved me. Right? First of all, I didn't have to be all proud and tell everybody else how wrong they were because I'm so right. And I didn't have to expect my group to be completely perfect all the time either. It just saved me a whole lot of hassle. So those little bits of wisdom can make a big difference. We seek the Lord. We grab hold of the wisdom of God. What do you think the, uh, the realm of things we can ask for wisdom on includes? Can we ask for wisdom on how to be married? Sure. How about wisdom on how to be a parent? How about wisdom on how to be a good child of a parent? How about wisdom on how to run a business? Wisdom on being a good employee, being a good student at school. I, I think this is a very broad category. You know, it's about the life we're living. We can get wisdom for the stuff we're going through. And so we want to grab hold of this. We want to get wisdom from God. What's our part? Let's go to verse six. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. This generous without finding fault, you know, except unless you doubt, then you're getting nothing. James, see, he just says it. God is generous. He doesn't find fault, but we have to go after it and believe in it. Verse 8, finish this section out. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So he's saying, when you doubt you are unstable, you will not be able to apprehend the promise of wisdom. We need to be standing on a firm foundation, trusting in God and going forward with God. Now, this then leads to the question, well, what if I don't have much faith? What do I do then? I mean, some people think that you're just supposed to grit your teeth and have more faith. Like, okay, well, I got a little more now. Yeah. Does it really work that way? It doesn't work that way. Have you ever prayed for something and thought, that's not going to happen? You know, like people come up, would you pray for me? Like, okay. And, and you know, it's a social expectation to pray for something. And you're thinking, ah, hey, no way. Right? <laughs> Is that prayer going to get answered? No, there's no faith with that at all. But haven't, you're laughing. You've done that, right? So if we need wisdom and we're thinking to ourselves, well, I I could pray like that, but I don't think it's probably going to happen because I'm kind of thick. And then, well, what do you do? Because it says here, if you you doubt, you're not going to get any. Well, then, well, but I'm doubting, so I'm not going to get any. Oh, no, this is terrible. What do you do? Well, I got two faith-building strategies for you. One is, I guess three. One is to listen to the testimonies of other people and what God has done for them. Listen to that. See what God has done and then start thinking, well, maybe, maybe God doesn't only like them. Maybe God likes me too and will help me. 
Uh, that's why I tell testimony stories is to build the faith of other people. Then Romans ten seventeen says this. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. One of the things you can do if you need faith to apprehend wisdom from God is you can write James 1.5 on a sticky note and you can put it on your bathroom mirror. And when you wake up in the morning, you can read James 1.5. If anyone lacks wisdom, you can ask God who gives generously without finding fault. Okay. And you read that and your spirit knows it's true because it's the word of God. And it'll sink in. Just a little more. And then at night, you read the note, and, you're like, and your spirit knows it's true, and it sinks in just a little more. And the next day you read it, and it sinks in a little more. And you read it again, it sinks in a little more. Faith comes by hearing. When we hear the promises, and they're repeated, and we start to believe them, then our faith is building. So faith comes by hearing. And then... The other thing is to exercise the faith that you have. Then you will learn to trust God. I've been, I told you I'm wearing this because I'm going to Jamaica and the preacher man has to wear a suit. Is that what I told you? All right. That's good. Also, they said that once you start, you can take the jacket off, but you have to start with the jacket on. So I'm going to take this off. There you go. All right. I'm just complying with Jamaican cultural norms. All right. There we go. Much better. That is so much better. All right. I'm glad we're not still in that always be dressed up all the time thing, but in Jamaica they are, so there you go. All right. Exercise the faith that you have and grow it. One of the things I've learned as the years have gone by is this, I can trust God. God will come through. God will not let me down. Now it will seem scary from time to time. You'll be feeling like you're walking on a a tight rope that's, you know, uh, covered with grease and and there's a 50 mile an hour wind and you feel like there's no way it's going to work. God will always come through. I've learned that as the years have gone by. Now I trust God more than I ever have. Exercise your faith and it will grow. Miracle number one is the miraculous impartation of wisdom from God. We need that. Believe it. Ask God for wisdom. Exercise your faith and grow it. The next three are kind of woven together in James 4, 1 through 10. So we're going to be looking at divine provision, which is when God meets your needs, uh, physical needs, financial needs. We're going to look at a divine impartation of grace, which is the favor and kindness of God to empower us. And then we'll look at the power to defeat the devil, all in James 4, 1 through 10. So let's start James 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Again, you want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So this is talking about material things receiving from God, financial blessings, uh, 
a vehicle that works, these sorts of things. It says here, you do not have because you do not ask God. So what's our part? Ask God. It isn't just, well, I'm going to muddle along, and if God wants to do something, I guess that'd be great. Ask. Go ahead and ask. Enter into the presence of God and ask God for things. That's good to do. Now, the next verse throws a little more subtlety into it. James 4, 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong, wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So he's saying, okay, you don't receive because you don't ask. Sometimes you ask, but when you ask, it's a selfish prayer. God doesn't have to meet our selfish desires, our selfish wants. And so if I ask God, I've been using this example, I don't know why, for this whole weekend. If I ask God for a helicopter, because, you know, somebody else has a helicopter, but I want a better helicopter than they've got. So I ask God for a helicopter, is he going to give me a helicopter? I don't know how to fly a helicopter. I don't know anyone who knows how to fly a helicopter. What am I going to do with a helicopter? All I'm going to do is, you know, see whoever this fictional person is and say, ha ha, my helicopter is better than your helicopter. And then why does God care about that? He doesn't. However, what if I ask God for sponsors for every kid at the New Vision Children's Home so that the home can be funded? What if I ask God for that? You think he'll do that? You know, I... uh, Miss Gillette, from the director down at the children's home, said this is the first year that school supply season has come up and they've just had the money to buy school supplies. So, hallelujah for that. Progress is being made. When we ask God for things that are in the middle of his will, that are his heart, then God wants to provide those things. We have to ask with a right motive. Now, are there sometimes things that are just for us that are inside the will of God? Absolutely. Let me tell you a story. So in 2010, in the fall, we launched the church in October. You know, we moved here, getting everything going, um, you know, the, the church planter's life is a stark life and there's not a lot of resources. And we had a, a, an unexpected expense or two. And then November, uh, Trinette calls me over and she says, Hey, we got, we got nothing for Christmas. It's going to be hugs for Christmas. Um, that's what, that's what Christmas is going to be. We need to talk to the kids. And I said, well, we're in the middle of God's will. We're tithers. We give offerings as we feel led. I think we can trust God for Christmas. I think we can have Christmas. So let's have a family meeting. So I called the family meeting and I said, all right, we're going to pray and we're going to believe God for $1,000 to come in from unexpected sources so we can have Christmas. And my wife, there she is. She's coming. Somebody told her. Anyway. <laughs> she, I don't, maybe she's not coming. Nothing, 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 nothing. It's good. I'm just telling the Christmas story, 2010. The provision story. So, I just, I'm just playing, just having fun. Uh, so, was it November when we had the family meeting, or was it October? Okay, so, 
We have the family meeting. And I, I said, okay, we're going to believe God for $1,000 to come in from unknown sources so we can have Christmas. I think God wants my little boys to have Christmas. And she was like, oh, you know, don't say a number. You know, like if, if, if you say a number, then it can be wrong. You know, I mean, but if you just, otherwise you can interpret, well, the hugs were better than presents and God blessed us mightily. You know, you can, you can, uh, you can always fix it if you don't say a number, right? And uh, so I said $1,000. And then what was the, uh, how did it go? Over a thousand and a side of beef. So God knew what the kids needed and God knew what I needed, you know? Like, <laughs> it was really cool. But, uh, you know, when somebody's praying about who to give meat to and your name comes up in prayer after something like this has happened, that's divine provision. This is just God meeting needs. And I believe the the best divine provision scripture is Matthew 6:33 from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking to the people. He's teaching the masses from on the mountainside. And he's saying, well, you're worried about all this stuff, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, all that stuff. But here's the bottom line, Matthew 6:33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's God's kingdom, God's righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So if you seek God's kingdom first, God's righteousness first, then you can trust him to add those things to you. I did not go get a side job so we could have Christmas. We just trusted God and God provided. Hallelujah. I could have gotten a side job, but then I wouldn't have been able to as effectively do the things that I was supposed to be doing. And so Sought first his kingdom, his righteousness. God added those things unto us or as a family. And God is no respecter of persons. He'll do that for you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And we can receive that basic provision from God. Again, I'm, if you need a helicopter, perhaps God will give you a helicopter. I don't feel like God is going to give me a helicopter, so I'm not going to pray for one. But I'm going to pray for basic provision. Ask God and have a right heart. Seek the things of God and seek to be provided for as a person. So we can believe for provision if we have uh, right motives in our heart and we're willing to ask God. Let's go back to James chapter 4. Let's look into grace. Verse 4. You adulterous people. See, again, he just like throws it out there. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, this is said very strongly, but don't you know you have to choose between God and the things that pull you away from God? You have to choose. You can't have both. That's the adulterous part is wanting both. But James is saying we need to choose the things of God. There's the neutral things like what color shoes you're wearing, you know, and then there's the things that pull us from God and the things that draw us to God. We must choose the things of God. Verse five. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? We'll talk more about this concept on another day. Verse six, but he gave us, he gives us more grace, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace 
to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How is your life going to go if God is opposing you? Are you any match for God? That would be a bad deal. How can you know that God will oppose you if you're proud? If you say, it's okay, Lord, I've got it from here. If you look at yourself and you just don't think you need the grace of God, then you get the opposition of God. You do not get wisdom from God. You get opposed by God. You do not get provision from God. You get opposed by God. That's a disaster. We must humble ourselves before God. A preacher I like to listen to, uh, Keith Moore, on the internet, he said one years ago, I was listening to him, and, and he said, because he's a great preacher, and he said he wanted to know how much of his preaching ability was him and how much of it was from God. And so he said, Lord, I want you to take away the anointing. I want you to take away your grace. I want to do this on my own. I want to see what I got on my own. Take everything of yours away. And he said, it was, it was nothing. Like he had nothing. He couldn't put a thought together. He was done. And then that was early in the week when he prayed like that. And then it started getting later in the week. He's like, Lord, I, I've learned my lesson. I need your help. You have, the weekend is coming. I got to preach something. People are going to come. So please give me your grace again. I, I humble myself before you and I acknowledge it is your power. It is not mine. It's not 50-50. It's not 80-20. It is 100% you and me apprehending the good things from you. And so he learned that it was the grace of God that empowered him to succeed. And God gives grace to the humble. He gives us more grace. And so if we want to receive an impartation of the grace of God, which is the favor and kindness of God, which empowers us, then we need to be humble before God. And being humble before God is just having a clear understanding of who you are and who God is. You don't have to, how do I say this? You don't have to think you're a rotten, pathetic worm that should be killed. You just need to know that without the grace of God, we're powerless. And we humble ourselves before God. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So our part is, is to humble ourselves before God. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So if we submit ourselves to God, then we can resist the devil and he will flee. What does flee mean? It means run away. So this isn't, we can stand our ground. This is, we can make the devil flee. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. He will know he's beaten. He will know he'd better get out of there because it isn't going to turn out well. And here's the mental picture I have with this. Because submit yourselves then to God. If you miss that, you're in a world of hurt. 
You get a seven sons of Shiva situation. If you're familiar with that one, uh, the people were casting out uh, demons in the name of Christ. And some people who weren't believers in Jesus said, well, let's do that. You know, like, all right, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, get out. And then <laughs> they got beat up. The, the demons said, you know, well, Jesus, we know and we know about Paul, but who are you? And beat them up. <laughs> so submit yourself to God. And here's the picture I get. So the devil will tell you a lie, right? Speak a lie in your mind. And you say, that's a lie. You get away from me. And the devil goes, ooh, and leaves. And I've got a picture of a thousand foot tall Jesus standing behind me. <laughs> going, you know, because it's, it's not my strength, Right? But since I've submitted myself to God, now the Lord is helping me to resist the enemy and Satan will free from the, flee from the Lord. So it's not really me, but since I've submitted myself to God, then I got a thousand foot Jesus standing behind me, making my words powerful. I can tell that lie. You get out of my head. That's a lie. And be free. Power to resist the devil. Isn't this amazing stuff? How many people, here's my mean thing of the day. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee. How many Christians get that backwards? They resist the God. They resist God. You know, God wants this. God wants them to change that. God wants this. They resist God. But then they cave. They submit under what the enemy has for them. How's it going to go if we're resisting God and submitting to the devil? You just don't want to be there. Open your heart to God. Do not resist God. When it's worship time and you can feel your arm wanting to go up, just put them up. You know, submit to God. When you're driving down the road and there's somebody else in the car and you feel like it's time to pray for someone and you're embarrassed because they're in the car, just start praying. You know, just do what God wants you to do. Submit to God, resist the devil. Do not resist God. And submit to the devil. That's a disaster. Let's keep reading verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you (laughs) double-minded. We'll talk about this another week too. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Again, James, very straightforward. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up. If we stand proud, he will humble us. If we humble ourselves, he'll lift us up. Let's go to James chapter five and look at our fifth category of divine power from the book of James. Again, miraculous impartation of wisdom. We've got provision for physical needs. We've got, uh, the uh, grace, divine impartation of grace and the um, ability to resist the devil and make him flee. Now, 
The last one in the book of James, divine healing. James 5, starting in verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Amen. Is anyone happy? What do you do if you're happy? Sing songs of praise. Don't feel bad for being happy. Don't think, well, good Christians are upset about stuff. You know, no, good Christians can be happy. Sing songs of praise. Be happy. Verse 14. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. We have, uh, we have anointing oil. I had a friend went to Israel. I said, hey, uh, get me some anointing oil. He, he got this from Jerusalem, uh, anointing oil with myrrh in it uh, from Jerusalem. We, uh, when people are, are sick or if we feel led, anoint people with oil in the front when we pray for people uh, because of this verse. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. An interesting switch. I thought I was looking for physical healing. We'll come up for physical healing, anoint you with oil, and if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven. Well, what happened? What's, what's going on there? Well, there's an interweaving between our physical body, our mind, and our spirit. You know, if your mind is tortured, it'll show itself in your physical body. If your spirit is broken, it will affect your mind. There, these things are interwoven, mind, body, and spirit. And so here, if there's a sin, if there's something separating us from God, how are we going to apprehend the promise of healing so that forgiveness needs to come? Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So he goes from, uh, you know, anoint with oil if you're sick. And if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. So confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. In the same sentence, confessing sins and being healed. So Confessing sins and physical healing, the spiritual healing and the physical healing are interwoven at times. And then the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Have you ever known you were in rebellion against God, in disobedience against God? You're holding back from God, but you really needed God to do something for you, so you asked him for it? How much faith to receive it did you have? When you know... When you know you're on the outside with God and you ask him for things, you got no confidence that God is going to help you because you're, you're out off on the side. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If we're right with God, that here it says, it's, that makes prayer powerful and effective. And here's my question for you. How long does it take to become righteous? You got to get a couple PhDs in righteousness, you know, do a one year residency and, and, and become righteous over a 10 year period of time. How long does it take to become righteous? Well, let me tell you, if you can clothe yourself in a righteousness that's not your own, but that is the righteousness given you from God in Christ, 
It takes that long. If you confess your sins, then you go from unrighteous to righteous and you ask God for forgiveness. It's done. It's over. You're clothed in Christ's righteousness. That's why confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. It's in the same sentence. Go from unrighteous to righteous and get healed. But don't hold on to that sin. Don't hold on to even unforgiveness. Don't hold on to those things and try to separate the physical from the spiritual Let them all work together. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to, and the ushers up as well. We're going to receive communion. Um, Now, there's there's a few more things I want to mention quickly. How many people have prayed for a divine healing miracle and seen it happen? How many people have done that? I've seen divine healing miracles happen. How many people have prayed for a divine healing miracle and seen it not happen? I've done both of those. Now, what do we do? Here's the simple answer. Don't condemn anyone. Just keep growing your faith. If You know, because people are like, well, we prayed for you, but you didn't get healed. So clearly you don't have enough faith to get healed. So it's your fault. You didn't get healed. You're a rotten person who doesn't have faith and you're still sick. I'm good. Thank you. Isn't that horrible? Why add condemnation to the physical problem? That's a disaster. Or it could be, well, you prayed for me and you know, how much, how much faith did Lazarus have? He was dead. Clearly you don't need to have faith. If you're the person being prayed for, it's the prayer that needs faith. So you didn't have enough faith. So it's your fault. So we hate you now. Well, what good is any of that, right? Let's believe God for good things. Let's learn and grow over time. There's more going on than what we can see. Sometimes there's, there's things at play that we don't understand. I'm going to believe God for healing every time. I'm going to learn how to apprehend the promise, how to build my faith more and more, how to see with wisdom, what needs to happen. Sometimes there's deliverance needed instead of physical healing. Sometimes there's these uh, unforgiveness or sin issues that need to be dealt with. There's ways to unlock the door. Let's look and see if we can find that. But if we don't, let's not blame anybody. Let's not hate anybody. Let's not add condemnation to the pain that's already there. Let's love one another. Um, At Good Hope, if you would like to receive communion, you are welcome to do so. Uh, If this is your first time visiting, go ahead and receive communion if you would like. The only thing I ask is that you make it real between you and God. Don't do it because other people are. Receive communion, make it real. You're, You're open to do that. James finishes this section in verse 5, verses 17 and 18 with this. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. He prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. So this James, we believe is the younger brother of Jesus. He saw Jesus do miracles and Jesus was not a man like us. Jesus was the alpha and the omega. He took the form of man. He operated as a man, but he wasn't one of us in that same sense. So James uses Elijah. Elijah was just one of us. Look what he was able to do. 
He's not more special than us. We can apprehend these things of God. So James puts a little faith builder in there. Elijah's a man just like us. He prayed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Let's, let's become righteous and let's receive the miraculous power of God. Now, earlier in the sermon, I said every good and perfect gift, quoting James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And we've looked at some great, wonderful gifts, wisdom, provision, grace, power against the enemy, healing. As we receive communion, let me tell you about one more good and perfect gift. And that is the gift of redemption. The gift of redemption that we see symbolized in the elements that we receive in communion. You know, God didn't just forgive us. Jesus paid the price. Forgiveness is when you release the debt. Redemption is when you pay the debt for someone else. Jesus needed to find a way. God needed to find a way to satisfy justice and love. Justice is the wages of sin is death. The price must be paid. Love is, we've got to find a way for these people. And that way is the way of redemption. Jesus paid the price. So this good and perfect gift is the gift of redemption, that we have been redeemed. Jesus has paid the price. The gift is presented to you. The question is, will you open it? Will you receive the gift of redemption? This gift is a gift that if you receive it, you have to put it on. It's like if you get a sweater for Christmas, you can either put it on or you can take it back to the store. You can stick it on the shelf or you can try to get store credit or you can wear it. This is a gift that when we receive it, we put it on. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Quickly, verse 23. Before this faith came, before faith in Christ, we were held prisoner by the law, locked up until faith should be received. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So we look at the law and we realize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we need Christ. So the law leads us to Christ. Verse 25. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if we are clothed in Christ, if we receive the gift of redemption and we put it on, then it doesn't matter. You know, religious family, religious background or not, doesn't matter. Rich or poor, slave or free, male or female, for them to say male or female back then, doesn't matter. You're clothed in Christ. You're an heir of the promise. That's the power of redemption. So as we receive communion this morning, 
Let's recognize that the price was paid. It wasn't just a dismissal of sin. Jesus had to pay the price to redeem us. And I tell you, if you've seen that gift and held it at arm's length, if you've seen that gift, put it on the shelf. If you're kind of hoping you're going to get store credit, let me tell you, put it on. Put on that redemption, be clothed in Christ and walk differently through this world. Let's pray together, receive together, and then I'll open up the front for personal prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great and perfect gifts. And Lord, wisdom and healing and and power, those are great things. But Lord, thank you for redemption. Thank you for seeing us as worth paying a price for. Not destroying us, not setting us aside, not casting us out, but paying our price. We will not forget, Lord Jesus, what you have done. We will honor you. We will submit to you. We will worship you because you are good. You love us and you have redeemed us. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, what you did on that day. You were scourged. You were beaten. You were mocked and you bled that we could be forgiven and healed. Thank you for redemption. Let's partake together. This is the body of Christ, which was broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ, which was shed for you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness and love. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Let us clothe ourselves in your mercy, and your grace, and your power. Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Father, I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, that your joy would be in our heart, and that we would know your love fully, so that we can love those in our lives who are difficult to love. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.